There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you only look, then you will see On WCN-TV interesting times. Hey, this is J.R. Harrison setting in for Rob. And I, I just, I can't, I cannot behave myself. I just cannot. I, I, I can't stay away from the internet. I can't stay away from my emails. So I get this email this week. A lot of things going on around Israel, right? Could it be that we're living during the time of Revelations 13, 6, and 7? And the beast opened its mouth to speak blasphemies against God and to slander his name and his tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven. Then the beast was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. I'll give my answer to that. But first, we have a special guest today. While we're on the subject of end times, <laughs> we have Barry Stagner. And uh, Barry, Barry uh, does a lot of research on end times and has written several books. He's got a new one coming out in uh, in January, I think. And uh, Barry, welcome. Welcome to WGN, brother. Thank you, JR. Great to be with you. Okay. So, so could it be that we're living during the time of revelations? Huh? Short answer or long answer? Well, we got about 30 <laughs> minutes. Uh, so 30 minutes. Medium. Short, short medium. answer is no. <laughs> Well, we're not. Uh, no, we're not living in Revelation 13. Uh, I do believe we are living in Revelation chapter 3 at the end of the church age, uh, the, represented by the Laodicean church. Mm. But we are very, very close to uh, what precedes the uh, tribulation age, I believe, which is the great catching away and uh, the church being removed and uh, the Holy Spirit no longer hindering that first beast of Revelation 13 from rising to power. Uh, but we are seeing so many things right now that uh, tell us we ought to be looking up and we ought to be reaching out as uh, things are wrapping up rather quickly. And uh, Israel has become the focal point of the world mm-hmm. in just a matter of 30 days. Uh, today being the seventh, a month ago, uh, we all awoke to what was happening in Israel and the world has just come off the wheels ever since then. Barry, what got you in to this 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 Christianity thingy? I um, mean, did you like swimming upstream? 
against the current? Is that what you like? <laughs> well, you know, I liked it to, as, as far as the story goes. Yeah, I was raised in the church. Uh, I was raised in a denomination that mm-hmm. I didn't talk about any of this stuff. And then when I was 12 years old, uh, I read a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. And as I like it. to put it, it scared the heaven into me. And uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was a church attendee. And uh, so in my latter 12th year, uh, I gave my life to Christ. And mm. I spent quite a few years as a prodigal. Um, uh, after that, I, I walked with the Lord strongly uh, for just about four years. And then I uh, got my head stuck in a beer can and a whiskey bottle for a decade. Mm. And uh, then uh, just the Lord very graciously, I, I wound up at this church called Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and got my... Uh, Head back on straight. Uh, the Lord restored my broken marriage, and uh, ever since then, it's been uh, just—it's uh, been a wild ride, I'll tell you. But uh, swimming upstream is a good way to put it. Going against yeah. the flow, and especially now, I think just more so as we draw close to the the moment and twinkling of an eye experience we're all waiting for. We do live in interesting times, brother. I mean, we do. really do. And I—I I grew up. Um, and like I, I had a lot of the same experiences you did. I came from a very broken family. I was in church. My mother was was a, a, a full blown Christian, and my father was a full blown heathen. Mm. It was very interesting. I mean, I I can go into stories about you know how, how abusive he was, but I I just I came out of that relationship thinking that behind every rainbow there's a cloud, and I saw mm. negatives, 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 negatives. Yeah. And the times we're in today, I'm going, well, okay, I'm back home. I'm back where I started. <laughs> but but the difference now than then is when I see what you, or not you, but other people might see as a problem, I see that as an opportunity. Yes. And and I take a positive approach to things. And I could explain you know, one of the things we got into with the natural family. But I take a positive approach to things. Again, I grew up criticizing things. Everything. There was something wrong with everything. So now, before I criticize something, I have to have a solution for it, at least a possible solution for it. Mm. And it's really, it's really a fun challenge. So, so where where do you see us right now biblically? Uh, U.S. Israel. I'd love, I'd love to get in a conversation about Israel because I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on there. I haven't done a lot of studies in Israel. I've never been there. It looks pretty dangerous. But then, you know. The uh, Europe looks pretty dangerous right now. America looks pretty dangerous right now. Yes. So what am I seeing? Well, what we're seeing is the precursors to what's going to happen in in Zechariah chapter 12, verse Mm 3, where the whole world gathers against Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, just watching what's happened on the world scene, again, in the span of just one month, uh, tells us how quickly the narrative, the prophetic narrative is advancing. You know, one of the things I think we've all, you know, most of us are familiar with the dry bones of Ezekiel 37, the miraculous rebirth of the nation of Israel. But I think it's wise for us to back up even a chapter before that, looking at Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, verses 20 and 21. The Lord says to Israel, who he takes responsibility for scattering them among the nations for their idolatry and their rebellion. And he tells them he's going to bring them back into his land. And he says, I'm not doing this for your sake, 
but I'm doing this for my holy name's sake. Mm-hmm. For as long as you were outside of the boundaries of the land I gave you, my name was being profaned. So for the sake of the Lord's holy name, he's bringing them back into his land. And we've been watching that now uh, for well over 100 years as the Jews began to return to their national homeland in the 1890s. And now we're seeing the other end of the spectrum when the world is turning against Israel and Israel is going to be standing alone uh, as it will during the tribulation period. And God is going to deal with uh, the nations that gather against Israel rather dramatically as we see in Ezekiel 38, 39. So I think prophetically we're, we're at the stage right now where we could see very possibly the fulfillment of Isaiah 17, 1. Uh, Damascus becoming a ruinous heap. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that Israel, in the midst of the time that we've been uh, watching unfold since October 7th, uh, they have, Israel has multiple times bombed the runway at uh, Damascus as well as the runway at Aleppo because this is the landing field for uh, the Iranian aircraft to bring in devices that can be used against the nation of Israel. And so I think a possible scenario, and I talk about this in the book, that it's quite likely, it seems, that uh, Isaiah 17.1 will be fulfilled. Damascus will become a ruinous heap. It will become uninhabitable. This could be the catalyst for drawing down the invading nations of the Ezekiel 38-39 war scenario to have the confidence and the world on their side, because the world is largely turning against Israel, to invade Israel from the north. And... Um, so the Ezekiel war scenario could develop on the heels of Isaiah 17:1 being fulfilled. So where we are is I think we're we're watching a world that is being prepared for uh, the man of sin, the guy you mentioned, uh, Revelation 13, mm-hmm. uh, rising to power, uh, the world being unified. And and if you watch the scenario that unfolds in Ezekiel 37 and 38, God says that. He is going to deal with the nations that were against Israel, and he's going to strike them with an earthquake and uh, rain and, and hail and blood. And, and so it's a pretty radical heavenly uh, response. And, and that's likely what will open the door for the rebuilding of the third temple. And, and it's very possible that between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation, there's a short span of time. I mean, the world's going to have to regroup. And uh, it, who knows what what is the 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 motivation or the key that gives the boldness to the nations with the hook in their jaws? God says uh, He'll place there to draw them down from the north. And you know, uh, Jr., we're living in in a time where you know we're we're seeing things written twenty seven, twenty eight hundred years ago uh, unfolding right before our eyes. And we're seeing the nations named in the Ezekiel package. Uh, three of them have military hardware and personnel on the northern border of Israel. Turkey is named under the multiple multiple names of ancient mm-hmm. nations there. Uh, Iran, Persia, is named. And we have Rosh, or Rosh, uh, which represents Russia. And really? then Ethiopia and Libya uh, are, are named under their, their modern names. But Ethiopia, we have to understand, in antiquity, Ethiopia meant the region directly south of Egypt. That's Sudan. So here you've got these four predominantly extremist Muslim nations paired with Israel. They're paired with uh, Russia. But the common factor between these five nations is uh, energy-related products. All of them are oil-producing nations 
or natural gas producing nations. And, uh, you know, now we're seeing Israel tapping into that market and Russia can't afford to lose market share to Israel or anybody else. Mm. And, uh, you know, so here Israel now has entered that market and you've got these five energy producing nations uh, who don't want Israel invading the European uh, natural gas and petroleum product market. And uh, so, you know, and you've got animosity towards Israel on their side. So I, I believe it's quite possible we could see the destruction of Damascus followed by the beginning of the Ezekiel War next on the prophetic calendar. We're speaking with Barry Stagner. And uh, Barry, you mentioned a book. You've recently yes. written a book, is that right? Yes, I have. I have a book uh, coming out January 16th. It's called The Time of the Signs. And, you know, if we look at what, what Jesus said in answer to the four disciples' questions, uh, after he told them, you know, you see these buildings? Now one stone is going to be left upon another. And then Peter, Andrew, James, and John ask him privately, you know, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus told them what we've recorded as the Olivet Discourse. They were on the Mount of Olives, so that's where he taught it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... The, the book takes us through a journey from the rebirth of the nation of Israel all the way up to the New Jerusalem and the chronology of events and the specifics of each event that will happen along the way. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I think is important maybe for the listener is the, the, the book is for sale right now, but it, it will be shipped out on January 16th. And most people will arrive, will uh, uh, have it arrive on the 17th. But pre-sale is, is super important for book sales these days because all of the uh, brick-and-mortar stores follow something called BookScan. And BookScan uh, records all the pre-orders. And when Target and Walmart and Barnes and & Noble and any other uh, brick-and-mortar store sees the pre-sale numbers, uh, that's what determines whether or not they put a book in the shelf on the store. And, and I have to say I, I appreciate everybody that has pre-ordered uh, because if there's, uh, I'll tell you, Target needs to read this book. Yeah. <laughs> They've got some crazy things that they've allowed there and promoted uh, as a company. And uh, this place, this book, I believe, needs to be in Walmart and Barnes and Noble uh, because we are living in the time of the signs. And that was really the bulk of Jesus' answer. Uh, what What are the answer? What are the uh, the signs of the times? Well, it's going to be a time of the signs. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars, ethnic tensions. Uh, there's going to be famines. There's going to be uh, plagues. And there's going to be, he used the word uh, seismos, translated as earthquakes in most Bibles. But the word actually means a commotion. And it's it's not limited to geographic or geological events, rather. It can also be translated as a gale or a tempest. So we would be seeing uh, interesting weather phenomenon, which is happening all over the world right now as well as uh, hmm. geological activity. So really the book walks you through the rebirth of the nation of Israel and in sequence, all the events as the Bible records them up to uh, when time as we know it is over and we are forever with the Lord in the new Jerusalem. This is 1948 on is what you're talking about. Yeah, I believe in the in the Olivet Discourse because of Joel one seven and Hosea mm -hmm. as well. Jeremiah mentions it, uh, Israel being represented represented rather by the fig tree. I think the rebirth on May fourteenth, nineteen forty eight, of the nation of Israel began the march forward in the final phase of the last days, 
and uh, the nation that is alive, or the people that are alive, I should say, uh, uh, when Israel becomes a nation, not all of them will perish before the whole of the Olivet Discourse happens. So Israel's 75 now, so I'm not going to hazard a guess at what a generation is, and uh, the Bible doesn't give us clarity on that, but mm -hmm. it says this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Uh, so we'll just have to take that at face value and uh, just heed the counsel of Jesus in Matthew 24, 44 to be ready. And what he wants us to be ready for is his coming to get the church. What's the church? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like it's to, funny, I like to easy questions. But funny you ask that question. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, the church used to mean one thing, and now it means something completely different. Mm -hmm. The church used to be a group that held to the apostolic doctrines and the practices of the early church. And now we've got, you know, church meaning a collective gathering of people. Uh, in some cases, they want to hear about how to better their life. In, in other cases, they want to have an emotional experience. And uh, in places that I just, my message last Sunday uh, from First John chapter 5, 1 to 5, uh, was called Genuine Faith. And then you have the true church that is a church of genuine faith that uh, believes in the doctrines of the Bible, doesn't believe that there are any amendments to it, doesn't treat it like it's archaic and outdated, and uh, actually respects the Word of God, walks in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and is expectant of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That That's the church, uh, the last one I Amen. described. Amen. Uh, by the way, if somebody wanted to get your book, how, how would they do that? Is it possible to do that now? Yeah, you can yeah. do that now. And Amazon's the place to do it. Or, you know, okay. all the all the stores have it on their in their online book uh, selling uh, site. So you could you could buy it from Target. Or you can buy it from Amazon. You can buy it from Barnes and Noble. You can buy it from Walmart. Um, and, you know, all of their ebook sales uh, already have the book online and they all collectively uh, all the data, all the sales numbers go into BookScan. So it doesn't matter where you buy it from. I know there's a lot of people that don't like Amazon. So you can get it from Walmart. If you don't like Walmart, you can get it from Target. And if you don't like Target, ooh, you can get it from a, a number of other places. It's out yeah. there. Yeah. Just, just type in the name and you'll find it. The time of the signs. The yes. time of the signs. Barry Stagner, the time of the signs. You had a book prior to that, Bible Prophecy, The Essentials. Yes. Uh, can you can you build a bridge for both of those for us? Yeah. It, um, during COVID, uh, I'm sure some of your audience is familiar with Amir Sarfati. Uh, Amir and mm -hmm. I travel the world together and, and speak at conferences. And when COVID hit, you know, of course, our travels were basically eliminated. And uh, so what we did was we jumped online and uh, started doing Q&As twice a month. And uh, so we, during the, the whole shutdown and when, uh, travel was limited. Uh, we took all of the uh, the transcripts from these, uh, This I think there were like 40 of these programs that we did, and we took all the transcripts and we basically hmm. found the 70 most frequently asked questions. We weren't sure how many there were going to be, but it just landed on 70. Mm -hmm. So we the book is from the transcripts of the Q&As we did together online. Uh, a question is asked, Amir offers his answer and I offer my answer. And uh, so it's the most commonly asked questions. And, you know, when we do live Q&As at conferences around the world, we'll see the same set of questions. So, you know, I thought this was a really good resource. And when we sat down together with the publisher, you know, it was, you know, this this is a biggie. 
you know, every conference we do together, the Q&A is, is one of the main highlights and people are hungry for answers. And what I think the, the benefit of the book is that, you know, you don't have to say, well, now, what did he say? You know, you can, you can look it up or, or, you know, how our minds will work. We'll, we'll attach one answer to a different question and get all jumbled up. So the book is just the, uh, and it too walks through a series of events. The, the first chapter is about Israel and uh, questions about Israel's rebirth. And are they, is modern Israel, biblical Israel? Mm-hmm. And then it talks about the church age and, uh, you know, just walks through the most, uh, the rapture. What what about the rapture? Is it actually a biblical doctrine? And uh, so it's just the most common questions that, that uh, and the, the subtitle of the book is answers to your most common questions. And it truly was that it was the people's questions that we answered. So it's a great, I think a handbook, you know, for, for, uh, people who are interested in Bible prophecy and people who aren't uh, <laughs> to get it in their hands and, and see where we're at prophetically. Is modern Israel, the Israel, of the Bible. When I, when I look at Israel and I take a look at them, I don't think of any other nation that's been affected by secular humanism as the United States and Israel. And Israel seems to like, want to take the lead on that. Yeah, they sure do. It uh, It's interesting because, you know, one thing we do pick up on in the Ezekiel 37 uh, scenario there is they're coming back in unbelief. And so, you know, mm-hmm. we should expect them to be regathered to the land. And like I said earlier, you know, Ezekiel 36 makes it quite clear that God isn't bringing them back because they're all that, uh, because they're largely atheistic and secular. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the Holocaust had a lot of mind-changing for a lot of Jewish people around the world. And uh, how could God allow that to happen? So a lot of them are are almost anti-God. But that's why we have to incorporate Ezekiel 36, because God said, you know, I'm not doing this because you're such a wonderful group. I'm doing this because every day you're outside of the land, you're profaning my name by not being present in the land that I gave you. So, you know, we one of the things I think when people throw that question out there is uh, or just make the statement that modern Israel is not biblical Israel. My answer is always, then why is everything written about Israel in the Bible happening to modern Israel? Why are the nations gathered against them? Why is anti-Semitism on the rise? Uh, why are all the things that, that the Bible says are going to happen developing? Why is the desert blooming like a rose? Uh, why is this abandoned place uh, that Mark Twain said it, it was godforsaken mm. place, and even the friend of the desert, the cactus, didn't grow there, uh, is what Twain said about the land. And yet, like Isaiah said, uh, Israel isn't just blooming like a rose. Israel is a major exporter of roses uh, from this once swamp and marshland and desert. And uh, you know, the people are coming back from all over the world. Uh, they're being regathered by the hand of God, and that whole process is continuing to this day. And, uh, you know, so if modern Israel isn't biblical Israel, then why is everything prophesied about Israel happening to this nation, including what we're seeing today? Interesting. We're going to take a quick break at the bottom of the hour. Uh, one of the things that, that again, it's just my nature. I, li- I like to challenge things. I like to question things. And somebody asked me one time, well, what would it make? What, what would I was always asking question. What would, what would it make you believe in the Bible? So I said, okay, you say everything's true in the Bible. All I need to do is get in there and find one thing wrong, and I'm out of here, right? So I got in, and this is a six-month process, and I chased God down these, this little rabbit hole. And I think I'd have him, 
and all he'd leave me with is a nugget of truth. And I come trudging out of there all upset. And then I go down another rabbit hole. I got him this time, another nugget of truth. <laughs> and then after about six months, I started using these nugget of truths in conversations. And I'm going, oh, man, you got me. You got me. <laughs> but well, that's why Spurgeon called him the great hound of heaven. You know, yeah. he, he gets us. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. He gets, especially gets me. He does. I just, and, and you, I think you, uh, I, when I get, I'm not, I'm not a Mensa. I'm not super intelligent, but when I get into conversations with people that are smart, that are Mensas, I cheat because I use the Bible. <laughs> well, well, you yeah. have the upper hand then. That's yeah, for sure. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that because I try to prove it wrong. And by the way, when, when you try to prove it wrong, you take a look at natural law. And that's where I come up with the nature of natural family and natural mm. laws, because natural laws are true. You can step off a, a cliff and you can identify as not going down, but you're, you're, you're going down. I mean, it's just going to happen to you. Yep. Producer, producer, why don't you take us to a break? When we come back, I want to I want to see if you cheat, too. Are you using the Bible to come up with all this information? <laughs> J.R. Harrison, we're talking with Barry Stagner. My towels solved a problem that we've all had with towels. You go into the stores and they feel lotiony and soft, but then you get them home and they wouldn't dry you. That's why I made my towels. They actually work, they're soft, and they absorb. And now I'm excited to announce two brand new lines of my towels. What makes them the best towels ever is they're now made with 100% long staple Shapir cotton. This is a combed ring spun cotton that makes my towels even softer and more absorbent than ever. And now you get a six piece set for an amazing introductory sale price as low as $29.98. So go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to get my towels for only $29.98. Or you can get my designer premium line for just $20 more. Either way, you save 50% now on all my towels. They actually work. What a concept. This offer won't last long, so please order now. MyPillow.com Barry Stagner, written several books, most recently about end times, if you will. And uh, we've been having a great conversation. He's, he's been putting up with me, and I really appreciate that, because I'm, <laughs> I'm not easy to get along with. So what I'm going to do is, is have somebody come in and help me out here. And we've got over the hill. I think over the hill, you got a question yeah, or two. Go ahead. Question. Go ahead. Now, Barry, Matthew 24 has two different viewpoints on it. And sometimes there's contentious viewpoints. Yes. Uh, yes. Evidently, you, you believe that Matthew 24, as far as the destruction of the temple, what have you, has not happened yet. And the other, the, the other viewpoint is it was all fulfilled in AD 70. You know, what, what scripture do you have? You mentioned you know, a couple different scriptures. You know, what scripture do you have that upholds what you're thinking? Matthew 24. Matthew 24. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if, you it, if you think about it, there were, there were, there were uh, in were. 70 AD, there was uh, animosity between the Roman Empire and Israel. But where were the other wars and rumors of wars? Where was all the plague and pestilence? Where were the uh, geological and uh, atmospheric events that Jesus said are going to increase in a birth pang-like progression? And none of those things happened. And, you know, the the localized uh, event that took place, that is, you know, as uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and then later Hadrian, 
you know, uh, uh, making it illegal to even use the word Jew or not allowing two Jews to walk together. You know, there, there was a progression still happening uh, after 70 AD. And, you know, the, the, the description given by Jesus in Matthew 24 doesn't fit the preterist viewpoint. And, and there's no way to allegorize much of what is written there. You know, the dividing of the sheep and the goats and, and uh, you know, all the one man being in the field and another uh, one being taken, one being left behind and all the parables that Jesus was using to make his point clear. I think uh, Matthew 24 is, if you're going to use it for the preterist position, it's self-refuting because that stuff just didn't happen. Uh, everything that Jesus said was going to come to pass and uh, and it just didn't. And so now, and so you know, now, we're looking at a scenario, you know, today, at a scenario today, today where it makes more sense. It makes more sense. Do you believe there'll be a third temple built then that will be destroyed? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Do you believe, believe there'll be a third temple, third temple built that will be destroyed then eventually? The third temple? Yeah, the third temple yes, will be the rebuilt. Yes. Yes, I do not believe that that is the temple of the millennium because it doesn't line up with the, the physical description in Ezekiel. Uh, you know, the third temple is the Antichrist temple, and it's a temple that's going to be defiled and uh, where he's going to go into the most holy place and uh, declare himself to be God. And, you know, we don't really see uh, in, in Daniel's uh, scenario, we don't really see uh, a mandate given for the rebuilding of the temple. It's just implied. Uh, he's going to take away the daily sacrifices. Well, that requires a temple. Uh, he's going to go into the most holy place and 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 declare himself to be God. That requires a most holy place. But we don't see the detailed description like we do of the fourth temple, or the millennial temple uh, that Jesus is going to rule and reign from. So kind of a, a you know, a, a, an implied or assumed presence of a third temple uh, just because of those mentions. So yes, I, I believe that, you know, when uh, Jesus comes back and the Mount of Olives uh, and a wide valley is split, and, uh, you know, we're going to see a return of the earth to an Eden-like condition. And I, I think that's probably the time where you're going to see, you know, the destruction of the temple. Because the last earthquake is uh, in Revelation chapter 16 uh, is greater than one that's ever happened in the history of the world. And every wall is going to lie flat. And, you know, Jerusalem's going to experience a couple of earthquakes during the tribulation. So, you know, I don't I, I don't see the preterist position uh, lining up with Matthew 24 itself. Thanks. Over the hill, thank you very much. I, why, why you bring that up? Premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. Can you give a brief description of all three? Because we're kind of we're kind of approaching all three of those areas. Yeah, there's um <clears throat> um, let's start with the last one. Amillennialism, ah just means no. Uh, there is no millennium. Okay. And again, that's 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 a tough one to float when you've got that the word uh, translated as a thousand used six times in Revelation chapter 20, 11 times in the New Testament. Every time it's taken literally, even in Second Peter 3, 9, where three to, uh, Peter uses the word chaleo and uh, uh, translated as a thousand. It has to be taken literally for his illustration to make any sense that to the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years a day. If that's not literal, then that's a word picture that, that just doesn't float. 
doesn't make any sense. So every time you have that word thousand used in the New Testament, it's literal. So that dismisses the amillennial uh, position. The postmillennial position, you know, that uh, it's kind of got several uh, components of that, you know, to where Christ is going to come back uh, at the uh, end of the millennium. Uh, there's a group today that believes that the church has to have dominion over the world in order for Christ to come back in seven different seats of power. It's called dominion theology or kingdom now theology. And, uh, you know, that one doesn't make any sense either uh, because the the only time the world's going to experience the millennial type life is when the Prince of Peace comes back and rules the world. So he has to be back in order for it to start. So the premillennial position, the second coming of Christ preceding uh, the millennial reign of Christ on earth is the only valid biblical position, uh, I believe, the only defensible one. So, um, you know, I think one, the pre-tribulation rapture is the only one that makes sense. Uh, you know, the, the post-tribulation rapture, I call it the yo-yo rapture, uh, because you go up and you come <laughs> right back down, uh, which, which makes no sense whatsoever. And, and besides the fact that Second Second Thessalonians 2 says, you know, the, the hindering work of the Holy Spirit and the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the people, uh, born-again saints, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, has to be taken out of the way. And only then can the lawless one be revealed. And the lawless one being revealed is what begins the tribulation period, as recorded in Revelation 6-2. So I think the pre-tribulation rapture, uh, the pre-millennial second coming, are are the only positions that we can really uh, defend biblically, and the rest require a great deal of interpretive gymnastics. So uh, I think it's pre-pre, pre-trib, pre-millennium. Again, you're using the Bible to cheat here, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I like what you said earlier that you were you were looking for answers, and I think yeah. that's wise. And uh, you know, one practice I think for people who are in in that same place or taking that same journey, which is a wise journey, because I think the answer uh, is always going to be the same, and it'll be the answer that you found. This book is true, and uh, I think we just have to adopt the practice of interpreting the unclear by the clear. And, you know, when there's something that's kind of murky or the language is a bit cumbersome, there are other places that will clean it up and uh, where we can understand it uh, to be more clearly and uh, to be more clear. And, you know, it's like we just mentioned a moment ago, you know, look at all the places the word thousand is used. It's always taken literally. Uh, So that means that in Revelation 20, uh, where we find the word six times, then it has to be taken literally because that's the precedent of Scripture. Got some feedback there, and where that's coming from. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, um, I and, and one of the things that I look at the Bible as a recording of natural law. Yes, and when when I have questions, I take a look and see what. Like getting back to the family, a child automatically needs, inherently needs, a mother and a father, one female, one male. That's inherent in them. That is natural. The Bible talks about it a lot, but does you know doesn't get that specific. But we experience it when it, I, I just it breaks my heart. Somebody that has never had children and can't have children because they're missing out so much yes. in terms of life. And and I you know I thought it after I graduated college and I got in the business world, I just thought I was hot stuff. And then then God gave me children. Well, guess what? Uh, <laughs> I weren't I weren't so smart. 
I weren't so smart. Uh, I had opened the opened the show up with, could it be that we're living during the time of revelations? In Ohio, uh, we have two uh, two issues that are. This is this is just, just absolutely insane. Two issues before the public that we're going to vote on. One is an actual amendment, and the amendment, if passed in Ohio, it only has to be fifty percent plus one, which is another another story. But mm. if it passes, a you can get an. It's not just about abortions. You can get you can get an abortion. You can do the transgender thing. You could probably even be a be a hooker and and use this amendment to justify what you're doing. But this is done without parental approval. Parents cannot get involved in this. It's specific. Right. And the other one is marijuana legalizing marijuana. I mean, it's, it's, this is just crazy. If both of those pass. We've created an environment where Christian thoughts, ideals, and leaders don't have standing in the marketplace of ideas. And if they don't, what do you think Jesus would have us do? And this is going to bring my, my question up. What do we do? If, if you are correct, and in a blink of an eye, something radical is going to happen. And, and keep in mind, Barry, that most of the children we speak with have been in public school, public indoctrination centers. That's right. Um, and the Bible says, a natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit for its foolishness unto them, nor can they right. know it. So end times coming. All right, we got to go out. We got to save as many people as we possibly can. But whoa, hold on a second. They don't hear what you're saying. What? How do we, how do we handle this? This is scary, Barry. This, this is scary, scary. There's loved ones, children, aunts. I mean, everybody around your neighbors. And you can't talk to them right now. Yeah, you're talking to a native Californian, so I know a little bit about Looney Tunes government. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I love that question. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things for us to keep in mind, and uh, I try and encourage people this, including our own church, that we have to remember we're living around people who are going to go into the tribulation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the rapture okay. is an event that's compared to the days of Noah, and uh, the, the timing of the rapture, I should say. And in Noah's day, and uh, you're pretty close to Ken Ham's uh, wonderful efforts there at the Creation Museum and the Ark Project. And uh, I, when I toured that when it first opened, one of the things that really caught my eye, and it's a question I'd always wondered about, and that was the population of the earth at the time of Noah. We know that eight people got on the boat, the Lord himself shut the door, and then began to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Uh, or at least a righteous, God-rejecting world. And, you know, uh, Ken Hammond put together a group of geneticists and mathematicians and calculated with uh, the near genetic perfection of humanity, the length of life, that it was quite possible that at the time of the flood, there were 16 billion people <clears throat> on the earth, twice as many as now. <clears throat> and yet we know <clears throat> that there were eight people that got on the boat and I don't think Jesus was giving us a math equation. I think he was just saying, you know, it's going to be like that. The righteous, in comparison to the masses of population, are going to be relatively few when it's time for him to come. So that tells us that the vast majority of people that we encounter every day are going to go into the tribulation. Uh, I believe that the Bible records quite clearly in Revelation that the, the largest great awakening in the history of humanity is going to take place during the tribulation. Uh, people from every, a numberless multitude from every tribe, tribe, tongue, nation of people are going to have the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. 
So we do know this is going to happen after we're gone. But I think one of the most important things for us to consider is uh, with the story of Noah, with the um, the the whole flood and and all of that that uh, took place and the period of time uh, estimates between uh, 100 and 120 years to build the ark. We have to remember that Genesis said that it hadn't rained on the earth. And it was only when the heavens opened and the fountains of the deep broke up that it began to rain on the earth for the first time. So here you've got a man, and Peter called him a preacher of righteousness. You've got a man on dry ground for 120 years building a boat uh, away from the ocean on a planet where it had never rained, preaching judgment is coming. And what was the world like? Oh, they were buying and selling, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. So that tells us that in the last days, there's going to be an indifference to impending signs of judgment. And this is what the culture is like right now. You know, the, you know, here we've got a, a human child inside a mother's womb redefined as a clump of tissue. Gender has become fluid and a personal choice and all these things that are going on that concern us so greatly. And yet here, here Noah is trying to prepare the world. And, you know, uh, Ken Ham and his, his group uh, had stated, you know, there was a lot more room on the ark than just, you know, a breeding pair of each of the 20,000 species at the time uh, that made it onto the ark. There was a lot of room for folks, uh, but people didn't get on the boat. And, you know, you, you think about that and what's happening in our world today, and you can clearly see the parallel and then also one of the other things I think that is so important for us to remember in times such as these is, you know, the the reluctant prophet, a guy named Jonah, uh, who was super excited about his mission field and uh, didn't want to go. Uh, so the Lord sent him to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh to preach a one-sentence message to the Ninevites. Uh, and his message was 40 days, and yet Nineveh will be overthrown. That was his whole sermon. And what happened, uh, Jonah tells us, is that from the king to the commoner, the nation repented. And there was a great awakening and revival that lasted there for 100 years. So the, the point is this. In times such as these, because we do know the, the, the majority of humanity is not ready for the rapture, mm. that we need to be preaching judgment to them, that judgment is coming. Because when we say there's there's a guy that's going to ride onto the world scene with a covenant that he's going to make with Israel for seven years, and everybody is going to follow after him, and then he's going to demand that you have a mark on your hand or forehead for the greater good of humanity in order to buy and sell so the uh, people who are the adversaries of the greater good can be identified so we can wipe them out. And you start talking about these things, and they laugh at you and mock you, and then when they begin to see them, things are going to be quite a bit different. So I think we have to have the boldness to uh, preach that judgment is coming. After all, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of people have made light and, and uh, joked about, you know, if we knew that last person to be saved, boy, we'd be all over them. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, that's actually going to happen during the tribulation when there's an angel flying in the high point of the sky preaching the everlasting gospel. And the interesting part about his sermon is it's short like Jonah's, but his sermon is fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. I mean, he's preaching judgment. And this is this is part of, of the gospel message. And, and I like what uh, Ray Comfort says, you know, the bad news makes the good news better. And, you know, when we <laughs> when we realize we're sinners, yeah, 
when we realize we're sinners in need of a Savior and that God has supplied a Savior whose blood is sufficient to cover the sins of all men, uh, that's good news uh, in the face of the bad news. So we we have to act like what we believe is actually going to happen and, and talk about these things with confidence, no matter the response of those who hear us. So we, we can't call a timeout and stop this, stall it? <laughs> huh? No, we don't move to Montana and buy water and bullets. You know, we, we need to get out there and preach the gospel to every creature. I get it. I get it. And I uh, <laughs> think things tend, you know, to answer my own question, things tend to disorder. Second law of thermodynamics, which, by the way, Adam initiated in the yeah. Garden of Eden. Everything yes. tends to disorder. And and we're, we're sure seeing this. This uh, And I what I try to do in my ministry is create an environment where Christian thoughts, ideals and leaders can get traction in the marketplace of ideas mm-hmm. to try to build relationships or understanding, at least open a few doors for those people that just will not listen to you. And, 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 and no matter how much you beat them upside the head with the Bible, that isn't happening. But I, I try to soften that target, if you will, by, by using natural law, to be honest with you, using That's- that as a bridge to the Bible. Yeah, I think that's that's wisdom, and I wish that the church would spend more time focusing on natural yeah. law, what you just said. You know, I think, uh, you know, th- those who are interested in that uh, particular area would do well to uh, study books like uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer's Signature in a Cell and uh, understand that, you know, the impossibility of self-arrangement. Uh, Michael Behe and another gentleman, uh, mm-hmm. microbiologist, yeah. you know, and so we could be better equipped because— the, the, the fact is that that evolution is beyond impossible. Uh, the self-arrangement from uh, elementary particles floating around after a big bang, you know, because, you know, just the whole thing. I like to put it like this. Their whole package is based on first there was nothing, then it blew up. Uh, they can accept that. But they can't accept an invisible God who speaks all things into existence. But they can believe that nothing created everything. And, you know, again, you know, the uh, those who do such things, astrophysicists and others, you know, calculated that there's some 10 to the 80th power of elementary particles floating around out there in the universe. That's a big number. And, uh, you know, just considering the fact that just one simple protein of a thousand amino acids long, in order for it to, in the expanding universe as the end result of an explosion, for these two self-arrange uh, on the the four nucleotide bases of a single molecule and to become a simple protein of a thousand amino acids long, the odds of that happening, according to math, uh, mathematicians, um, William Dimsky is, is one who kind of put these numbers together, uh, is one in 10 to the 41,000th power. And to those who study probabilities, you know, the, uh, the probability bound or something becoming impossible is anything that's above the odds of it happening over one in 10 to the 150th power. So again, you know, this, this is beyond impossible. A trillion, trillion years isn't enough time for one simple protein to self-arrange the way that uh, the march for molecules demand, demand. So, you know, I'm with you. I think that, you know, just understanding how things work and uh, how the body is so, fearfully and wonderfully made and its complexity mm-hmm. and the necessity of the synchronism between functions and how it's just, it just doesn't work. Evolution just doesn't work. The model breaks down 
immediately. But we can choose our own sex. Yes. <laughs> your, your signature trade is keep, keeping complex topics clear and simple. And you, I think you make a great case, a great case. Again, the book is The Time of the Signs by, by Barry Stagner. And Barry, um, we're going to close this out shortly here. Uh, one more question. What do you hope readers will gain or learn from reading the Times of the Signs? You know, I one, I think just a basic understanding of where we are in the prophetic calendar. And, you know, one of the things you kind of alluded to at the top of the hour is what makes the Bible special. And the answer to that is prophecy. Mm. Uh, it is the only book that dares to declare with specificity of the things that are coming. Who's going to be where and doing what? Uh, a thousand years in advance or 2,000 or 3,000 years in advance. So we have all of that uh, behind us to give us... Uh, you know, some confidence in what it is that we believe. But my takeaway everywhere I go, when Amir and I travel around the world, doesn't matter what country we're in, doesn't matter how many people are in the room, uh, my hope and what I say to the people every time I teach is that my hope, and I say this over the time of the signs and Bible prophecy, the essentials as well, is that what people would come away with is a desperation for lost souls that they would realize because of the shortness of time, the urgency of the moment that we now live in, and that person that's shared with that coworker a hundred times, share with them again. The person that has the family member who has rejected the gospel, mocks you, makes fun of you, tell them again that Jesus mm -hmm. loves them. And I, I just pray, and I prayed over, I don't know how many thousands of people, Acts 431, that when they had prayed, the place that they were in was shaken, and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. That's my hope for the time of the signs, is that people would be bold and confident in our message and get out there and share the gospel with every creature. And where can you get this book again? You can find it on Amazon or any online bookseller if you happen to have a favorite. Uh, everyone is carrying it. You know, they all have basically the same source uh, to where they gathered their online sales. So Amazon is, uh, you know, one place, I think the most familiar place. And you can pre-order it and it will be delivered sometime after uh, January 16th. And if I could just maybe mention again, pre-sale is super important. Uh, it is what helps get the book on the shelf. Uh, of stores around the country. And, you know, I, I think there's some folks that are really wondering who, who may not attend church or, or be believers who are wondering what is going on in our world. And they need to know we're living in the time of the signs, yeah. the signs of Jesus soon coming. You have to believe, I come from a sales background, and, and you have to believe in what you're selling. You have to believe in the product. And, oh, absolutely. And in sales, you're, you have to expect a no. And all that no means is yes, they just don't know it yet. And you have to take, you, you have to right. take that attitude when you yeah. witness to folks and look for opportunities and they're all around you. Uh, I, re I remember uh, walking around a, a shopping center and I had my, I wear my cross hat and I had a shirt on something said about Jesus on it. And some guy was an atheist stopped me. And he, he said, uh, I don't like your shirt. And you know what I said to him? I said, wait right there. Just stay right there. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a Bible, industrial sized Bible, and I'm going to beat you over the head with it. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, I said, talk to me. And then he started talking. 
and yeah. he had questions that nobody nobody knew what he wanted nobody knew what what the answer should be because they they were assuming what his questions were going to be but once you say well talk to me and the look at his face this guy this guy had a masters from uh someplace in new york and, and mm. very well situated mm. but again i was cheating i was cheating i was using the bible okay jesus asked a lot of questions okay yep. and, and that, that's that's what i do Barry, anything you want to leave us with brother well, again, I think the most important thing is for us to be about the Father's business and occupy till he comes. And uh, our occupation as sons of the Father is to do his business, which is saving souls. And uh, so let's just get out there and preach the gospel to every creature. Tell people about Jesus. And, uh, you know, I, I said this early on in our own church history. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things that you say and then you wonder, why did I say that? But I, I believe this, <laughs> the, the Lord inspired me to say it. And uh, I told people that when we were just a little bitty church, just just starting to grow, I said, don't tell people about your church. Certainly don't tell people about your pastor. Tell people about your Savior. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's the most important thing is that we're telling people about the Lord uh, because no church can save anybody. No pastor can save anybody. And, uh, you know, the, the, the church has a role because faith comes by hearing the word of God. But the most important thing is just everyday people telling other everyday people about the one who can save mm -hmm. them. You want to promote your church? Well, okay. <laughs> the church is Calvary Central OC. We're in Costa Mesa, California. And uh, you can go to our website, calvarycoc.org, and uh, all the messages are there. You can find them on uh, my YouTube page, too, which is called The Truth About God. Or just type in my um, my name, and also every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time, I do a prophecy update called The Lineup. And there's a whole archive of uh, previous programs on my YouTube channel as well. And so you can see and, and catch up with what's going on in the world. And by the way, uh, this Thursday, again, 6 p.m. Pacific time, I'm sorry, 7 p.m. Pacific time, uh, Amir Sarfati is going to be on with me and we're going to be talking about uh, what's going on in the world. So that's just type in my name on YouTube and it'll come up. And uh, this you can watch it on Friday. And it'll be archived there for forever, or until the Lord comes. And uh, and uh, Amir will be my guest this this uh, Thursday, and we'll talk about what's happening out there in the world, and specifically in Israel. The Time of the Signs by Barry S T A G N E R Barry Stagner reveals the closeness of Christ's return. Barry, thank you very much for uh, taking the time today and putting up with me. And oh, uh, I had a great time, Jr. It was awesome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're a blessing, sir. You're a blessing. Thank, thank you. you very much. Tune in Thanks. next Tuesday, folks.